Amen. Thank you for your worship this morning. It was encouraging to me to be in the house of the Lord and to hear your voices lift, lifted up. Psalm 99 this morning, we're finishing our series on Joshua and the Psalms of 90 through 99 this morning, and then next week, May 15th, we start a 15-week series in the book of Isaiah. Next week's message is entitled, A Voicemail from God. So we hope you'll join us next week when we look at Isaiah chapter 1. This morning, though, is Psalm 99. It is the last of what is called the enthronement psalms in the book of Psalms, which is Psalms 90 through 99. They look at God as the king. And in Psalm 99 this morning, we are going to see seven motivations for worship of, the, of, of, our, of our Lord, of God. Seven motivations. And, and this is a song that is obviously sung by the worshipers of God, and it is very well put together, very well constructed, very well thought out. It's just a reminder that when we do things to the Lord, we should do our very best that we can, and we should take pains with those things. Uh, let me just share with you, for instance, uh, three times the Lord is called holy here, and we're going to look at that, which it sort of goes along with the biblical pattern, like in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy. The name Lord is used seven times, a number of perfection or completion, the pronouns for God that are beside the words for God, the descriptions of God are also used seven times in this passage of Scripture. Uh, it's just a very well thought out song that was written by someone. We don't know. The author is anonymous. But what I hope to do today with this psalm, I think what God wants to do today with this psalm, is to motivate his people to an even higher level of worship, a greater level of worship, a more devoted, enthusiastic level of worship in our life. God is growing us here at the Oasis in our worship. There is no doubt about that. We've come a long way in the last couple of years in the way we are singing out, in the way we come on time, engage. We're here not just for the message, we're here for the worship because we believe that that's just as important. And, and, and we, are, we are engaged in that. In fact, several months ago when Nicole shared with me that we were going to be, she was going to be introducing such an awesome God, I got so excited. And I want you to know that just like I really look to the leading of God as far as the timing of our series. Like, what am, I, what am I teaching all of us on at the timing God wants? Nicole is very intentional about that when it comes to the worship songs that we do. She doesn't just pick them out of the air. She does that in partnership with God, and she does that in a way that the timing of it is just the right time that God wants us to be singing these songs. So it was very strategic today that such an awesome God was part of our worship today. So I want to begin looking this morning at Psalm 99 and looking, first of all, at the seven motivations 
for worshiping God out of this psalm. The first one is found in verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is king. He is on his throne. He is in control. He rules over the universe that he created. In fact, in verse 1, notice the word enthroned. In verse 2, the word elevated. And also in verse 2, the word exalted. God has always been enthroned or sitting or abiding on his throne, and he always will be. He will never abdicate his throne. No one will ever kick him off his throne. It gives us great comfort, great strength, and great encouragement always as God's people to be reminded that God is the one who's in control and on his throne. The Lord reigns. And that should be a motivation to us every day that the Lord is to be worshipped. We're not sitting down here as God's people, you know, wringing our hands as if no one's in control, that the, that the history of this world is not moving towards God's intended goal and purpose for it, that somehow we're just all here by chance and we're just sort of hanging on by a thread and, and there's no plan or purpose behind everything that's going on and, and somehow, you know, this world's just totally chaotic, which it is, but that somehow, someway, there's no one behind it all or in control of it all. No, absolutely not. God has always been and always will be reigning and ruling and in control of all the nations of this world and all the leaders of all the nations of this world. And that's something we should praise God for and worship him for. We serve a God who's enthroned who's elevated, and who is exalted above the nations. In the book of Daniel, Daniel reminds us that the Lord God rules over the nations of this world. And that's something especially you and I need to make sure that we are applying that truth to our life every day that we live on this earth. The Lord reigns, the first motivation. The second motivation in verse Three, is that he is holy. He is holy. In fact, again, this is repeated three times in the psalm. The end of verse three, the end of verse five, he is holy. And then the final phrase of the psalm, for the Lord our God is holy, thrice holy, could be referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But many times in the Bible, when you see God described as holy, it is in three forms. What does it mean that God is holy? It means that he is holy other, that there is no one else like God, that he is different from anything and everyone else, that he is unique, that he is mysterious. In fact, I wrote here in my Bible these words, to have a God, who is totally other than, who is different and mysterious, is to have a God worth worshiping. I don't want a God so small that I can put him in my little box and have him all figured out. I want a God bigger than me, way beyond me. I want a God that's so great that he'll never be able to be all figured out and comprehended. That's the kind of God that is worth worshiping, and that's the kind of God that we should all desire to have. We'll never get to the end of God. He is infinite. 
You can't see the end of God because there is no end of God. I get asked this question so often, Pastor, what are we going to be doing as God's people for all eternity? That's a long time, forever. Well, one of the main things we're going to do is we're going to continue to discover things about God forever and ever. I mean, think about that. We, we will never get to a place, even in eternity, where we've got God all figured out and we know everything there is to know about God. That's never going to happen because he's infinite. He is wholly other than anyone or anything. There always will be a mystery. There always will be a uniqueness. That's why God said, my ways are not your ways. And that's why even as God's people, God calls us to, to be able to follow a God that we won't always understand or comprehend. In fact, sometimes, even if God told us, we couldn't understand it anyway. And that's where our faith has to kick in with God. So the first motivation for worshiping God is that he reigns. The second is that he is holy. The third, verse 4, is that the king is strong. And he's not just strong, he's almighty. He is the most mighty. He is the most powerful being, person in the universe. There is no one stronger or more mighty or more powerful than God. Which again, then, God offers us this might and this strength and this power to live by. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul tells the Christians there that that he wants their minds to be awakened and aware of the fact that the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, now abides in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit and that we can live by that power. And the book of Isaiah tells us that even all of us get faint and get weary and all of that because there's limitations to our mortal bodies, but we can be renewed in the energy and strength and power of a God, again, that there's no end to his power. There's no end to his strength and might. And unlike us, when God exerts himself, which can I just say that's even a dangerous word because God never really exerts himself, it's not God's up there like straining to create the universe, like this is going to be a big thing. This is really going to take all my power and sap me of my strength to create all the universe. No, he could do it with just boom, that's it. It's all done. And God offers us that same strength and power and might and all of that every day that we don't have to live by our own strength or the limitations of our own power as human beings, but we can literally live in and through the strength of God. And God is so big and so great and so holy that he could give every last person on the earth all the strength that we need, and it's not like then God's up there, he's all weak. No, no. Because he is that strong, which also then means that it should be an encouragement to us that there's nothing that will ever happen to us that God's power and strength and all of that couldn't help us with. Like there's something beyond his power, which is why God says, there's nothing too hard or too difficult for me because I am almighty. I have all strength. All true strength and power and might comes from me. I am strong. Lean into me. Live in my strength and through my strength 
every day. And you will find supernatural power and strength like never before. Never forget that Lord reigns, that he is holy, that he is strong. Then also look at verse 4, the fourth motivation for worshiping the Lord. He's just. In fact, the Bible here says he loves to bring justice. It means to set things right. And God does that in his own way now. How does he do that now before he comes and literally is going to set things right one day when he sets up his earthly kingdom? Well, he does that by incorporating into the fabric of the universe that he created and into the lives that he creates consequences for disregarding what he says. He gives mankind the choice to follow him or not follow him, and we're going to talk more about that a lot next week in Isaiah chapter 1. But God simply is saying, it's your choice whether you want to follow me or not, but if you don't and you disregard me, there's going to be painful consequences. Because God builds those consequences in to disregarding him. That's why a lot of human beings today, the, the pain, the suffering that they're going through is because they are disregarding the word of God. They are disregarding the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life. If they're a Christian, and if not a Christian, then they're just disregarding God working in their life and turning him off and saying, I'm going to live my life my way. Fine, God said. You have at it. But realize you're going to bring on a lot of pain in your life, a lot of unnecessary suffering and all of that if you go down a path that takes you further and further away from me. God is a just God. And again, that's one of the reasons why we should always and continually worship him because, again, how depressing would it be, how despairing would it be to even sit here as a child of God and go, this world's just going to continue to get worse and worse and no one's ever going to, nothing's ever going to change and no one's ever going to, you know, be vindicated for doing what's right and setting things right. It's just going to continue to go downhill. That would be very hopeless and very depressing and despairing. But we, as the people of God, always live in hope every day that God not only, in a sense, expresses his justice, if you will, through the fabric of society and build in consequences to certain decisions, but one day he's going to come and he's really going to set things right. And we should be so glad for that. He's going to turn everything around. He's going to reverse the price tags. The things that the world values and says, these are the most valuable things that are worth more than anything, in God's eyes, nothing. And the things that the world doesn't think is very important at all or despises, those are the things that God's going to reverse and say, no, they were of greatest value and worth. Right now, we're living in a world that's reversed the price tags. You and I have to be strong enough and be okay with that to do that. But knowing, knowing that one day the God of justice is going to come and truly set things right. The fifth motivation for worship, he's a God who answers prayer. Notice at the end of verse 6, they pray to the Lord and he 
answered them. In fact, this is so remarkable to the psalmist that he repeats it again in verse 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, you answered them. It's like this amazing, great, magnificent, incomprehensible, infinite, holy God is not some God who's aloof and who doesn't care about what's going on on earth and what's going on with each of us as individuals and our lives and our life situations and our challenges and our struggles. No, he pays attention to us at all times. And though we may take our eyes off of him, God never takes his eye off of us. And not only does he pay attention to us, therefore knows exactly what we need and when we need it and is there for us, but he responds to us by answering our prayers. Now, he may not answer them in the timing that we want or in the way that we want, but God always pays attention to every prayer that we pray. And he answers. He resp he's a God who responds. We should be so thankful for that because we live in a world today, even amongst Christians, where you don't always get the response from another human being you're looking for, right? We could all say that. Like, man, I, I did this, and I didn't get the... And not that we should do something in order to get a certain response. I'm just saying many times we can live in those lost expectations and disappointment of, here's how I'm living, here's what I'm doing. I'm not getting any kind of response. You never have to... Worry about that with God. God is a full responder, which is why God, this whole thing of worship and the dynamic of worship is such a, a cool thing because it's literally the people of God and God just being involved in this. We do this and God responds to that and then we respond to God and, the God, and it's just this constant give and take and back and forth and it's beautiful. Because you never have to worry about God being too busy to respond. You never have to worry about him, you know, being asleep or, or not caring or anything like that. All the things that were not being available, you know, the things that we look to in other human beings and sometimes they're not there for us when we need them to respond to us, guess what? God's always there. Always there. And that just amazed the psalmist. They prayed and he answered them. Here, mere human beings. And this amazing God takes the time for each of us. And then when you talk about prayer, the thing that always, you know, blew me away even as a child and it continues to do it, I still don't lose my awe and wonder is, you know, there could be a billion of us praying to God all at the same time and yet God can keep it all straight. And it's not like if God's giving you attention for the prayer you're praying, like he can't give me my full attention too. No. Again, God is so amazing. He can give each of us full attention and response to our prayers, and it doesn't take away from anything or anyone else. And so the psalmist says, this kind of God, he should be worshipped. Then notice verse 7, the sixth motivation for worship. He communicates. He spoke to his people from a pillar of a cloud, which is just one of the ways God revealed himself or spoke or communicated to people. As the book of Hebrews tells us, in times past, in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people in many different forms, in many different ways. 
In these last days, he's primarily spoken to us through his son, Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us. But God still speaks. God still communicates. Yes, primarily through his word, which is why the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't have to try to be out there groping to figure out where, where God wants me to go and what I should do because God reveals these things to us. We simply... It's not that God doesn't speak to his people or communicate to his people. Many times we're not listening for God. We're not hearing God. We're not tuned into God. Or if we are, we're disregarding God because God speaks to us and says, this is the way I want you to go. And we're like, no, God, sorry, I'm going my own way. But the amazing thing is God speaks. He's not a silent God. He's not a God up there who just, you know, wound us all up and just sort of sits back and lets us try to figure it all out. No, he's always giving us clear direction and guidance, which is why the metaphor of God as a shepherd is so important in the Bible because sheep would have no idea where the green pastures are and where the, the cool waters are if it wasn't for the shepherd. But they don't have to have that all figured out. All they have to figure out is, I just have to follow my shepherd and I'll have everything I want. And God is the same way with us. We don't have to figure out where our green pastures and still cool, refreshing waters are. All we have to do is just keep our nose right behind our shepherd. And he'll lead us to everything we'd ever want that is totally fulfilling and satisfying. Everybody can do that. He clearly communicates and speaks. Are we listening? Are we dialed in? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's all I ask. Just listen for my voice. Learn to discern and perceive my voice in your life because I'm speaking to you. He speaks to us through worship. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through other Christians. He can even speak to us through unbelievers. He spoke to a man in the Old Testament through a donkey. God can use different means to speak to us. We just have to know is that God who's speaking. And once we learn that that's God's voice, we'll never be without direction and guidance and leadership a day in our life. We will always know what God is wanting us to do and where he wants us to go and who he wants us to be because he's a God who speaks and communicates. And then, verse 8, the last motivation for worshiping God, he's a forgiving God. Oh, Lord, our God, you answered them, and they found you to be a forgiving God. Yes, a just God, one who punishes sinful deeds, but a forgiving God. And I love this word, forgiving, here. It's a beautiful picture. It's the same essence of the word in the New Testament. It means to take and carry away. Isn't that a beautiful picture of forgiveness? God literally comes and says, I'm not just like, like canceling your debt on a, 
on a sheet of paper. No, I'm literally going to take the sin and the shame and the guilt and all of that, and I'm going to take that off of you. And guess what? I'm going to put it on me. I'm going to die for all that. I'm going to experience the wrath of God for all that. And then I'm going to take it as far away from you as it can possibly go, as the Bible would say. I'm going to separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Not that God can physically forget, but he will never bring up our sin ever again to us. He not only takes it, he carries it away. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the forgiveness, the freedom that comes from being forgiven, oh, my friend, I would encourage you in the strongest way possible, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and be forgiven of all your sin of all time and you will feel a burden lift from you and you will be more free than you could ever imagine. There is nothing like having all of that sin, all of our failure, all of that shame, all of that guilt taken completely away. And then even as a Christian, the Bible encourages us, if you confess your sins, he will be faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's just a matter of agreeing with God, saying, God, I messed up today. You know what? God's like, okay. I've covered that, and now I'm going to take that away so fellowship can be restored. I'm taking it away. God doesn't just, you know, take it. He takes it away. That's a God to be worshipped. A God who is perfect. A God who is holy. A God who is sinless. A God who never will do anything other than what is right and yet loved us so much that he was willing to take all of our stuff, all of our sin, all of our failure. There's not one sin that is too big of a sin for God to take and carry away. There's not an amount of sin that anyone could ever bring to God and say, God, my life has been filled with sin. It is just dark. God's like, not too big for me. I can take all that sin and I can take it from you and I can carry it away because that's the kind of God I am. And so in this great psalm, the psalmist is reminding us even as God's people, this is why we should be so motivated to worship God every day in our life to come to the house of God and make worship a priority as a community of believers because this God that is our God that we have a personal relationship is the most amazing God you could ever have. He reigns, he's holy, he's strong, he's just, he answers prayer, he communicates, and he forgives. And can I say that's just scratching the surface. That's not an exhaustive list. <laughs> So if those are the motivations to worship God, what does this psalm tell us about what should our response be? The first response we should have to that kind of a God is to move. And when I say moving, I'm talking about being moved physically. 
I'm talking about being moved emotionally inside and being moved spiritually. When we begin to learn and discover more about who our God is and how great and awesome and holy and all these things he is, it should move us in all of those respects. We should be moving physically, we should be moving emotionally, and we should be moving spiritually. God should be moving in our midst. Let me give you a couple examples from this psalm. Notice verse 1. The Lord reigns and the nations do what? They tremble. The word in the Hebrew means they kneel, they bow before him. And one day the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. They're moving physically in response to the kingship of the Lord. They are kneeling, they are bowing. Notice also at the end of verse 1, the earth shakes. I did not realize this till a few years ago. The earth, and I'm not talking about the rotation of the earth. I'm talking about the earth itself is in constant motion, even though it's imperceptible to you and I. The sea floor is always moving, and the earth's surface is always moving. Study the tectonic plates that sometimes causes earthquakes. But those, those plates are continually rubbing and moving, and our earth is shaking and moving at all times. You see, even creation is moving to the greatness of God, always in mo motion. When you and I realize who God is, it should move us, which is why then he goes on to say in verse 5, worship before his footstool, and then at the end of verse 9, worship on his holy hill. The word worship means to literally bow down. Again, there's that physical response. And not that it should only be physical, but that there should be physical movement and response on our part to this God, which is why we should sing to him and why we should serve him and why we should be moving to him at all times physically, but also emotionally. Who God is and what he has done for us and, and what he's doing now should move us emotionally, which is why the Bible talks about tears and, and, and weeping and joy and laughter and all of these things. We should be engaged with God not only in a physical sense, but also in an emotional sense, and then obviously in a spiritual sense. God should be moving our spirit. Our spirit should be yielding and submitting and surrendering to God more and more as time goes by when we realize who God is and what God has done for us. It should move us. Are we moving? Because that's one of the great responses to this kind of God is to be moving and allowing him to move us, which again is why worship proper is engaging the head as well as the heart. It's got to be both. We've got to be growing in an understanding and, and comprehension and all of that of who God is up here, but it also has to deal with our greater love for God and, and feeling for God and affection for God and adoration for God and appreciation for God. Emotionally, we should be engaged as well. Moving. Are we moving? 
to this God. Secondly, the second response is praising. Look at verse 3. Let them praise your great and awesome name. We'll come back to that. Verse 5, praise the Lord our God. Verse 9, praise the Lord our God. It means to exalt, to raise, to lift up, to elevate, which goes along with the fact that he's already enthroned, exalted, elevated. It's not that we put God there. It's we acknowledge God is there. How are we raising him up, lifting him up, exalting him in our life every day? And it's not just with our lips, it's with our life. Yes, we should be exalting him and raising him up and lifting him up in our praise, in our voices, in our songs, but we should also be lifting and raising and exalting him in our life. How can others see that God is being lifted up in our life every day? Well, one way is by just trusting him. Every time we exhibit and express our faith and trust in God, that's a way we're saying, God, there's no one greater, higher, exalted than you. you, you you're the answer. You got this. So I'm trusting you. And it's not just then moving to God, it's praising God. And I love verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. When I studied that and meditated on that, I, I was reminded of the, the, the great story from the book of Judges where the angel of God, Jesus, in the Old Testament comes down, and, and his first conversation is with Samson's mother. And he comes to Samson's mother. The father's not there at this point. And he says to Samson's mother, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to have unique gifts. And those gifts are going to be given to him by God because he's going to deliver our people, the Israelites, from the Philistines once and for all. And he leaves. Well, obviously, you can imagine the wife of, you know, of, of, uh, or the mother of Samson. She's like, oh. So she goes to her husband, Manoah. And she says, you're never going to believe this. This angel of the Lord comes to me and tells me about our child and, and who he's going to be and all of this. And the father sort of feels left out, you know. He says, well, I want him to come back. And, and I'm going to start praying that he comes back because I not only want to see him and engage with him, I think if this child's going to be that special, then I want him to tell us how, how we should train him and raise him up and all of that. And here, the angel of the Lord comes back and appears to both of them. And as they're engaging and, and going through a little bit more conversation, finally Manoah, Samson's father, says, tell me your name. And you know what God says to him? He says this. He says, I cannot tell you my name. My name is too wonderful to express, and too great for you to comprehend. <sighs> Whew. That's our God. That, that's even what the psalmist says. Let us praise your awesome name. That's really too even wonderful to speak and too great to comprehend. God cannot reveal all there is. You know, even the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus is going to have a name that no one knows except him throughout eternity. The name of God, the awesome name of God. So, moving, praising, then look at verse 6. Prayer. Prayer is worship. And one of the things we should be doing as God's people is not only moving and praising, but praying. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was one of those who prayed to him. They prayed to the Lord, and he answered prayer. 
prayer is worship because when we pray, we're saying, God, I need to turn to you. I need to rely and depend upon you. You're the answer to this. I, I need you. You're, you're my guidance. You're, that's why the Bible connects faithlessness with prayerlessness. The more faith I have in God, that he truly is the great God that Psalm 99 is portraying, then I'm going to go to God with anything and everything and at all the time, which is why the New Testament says, pray without ceasing. Stay communicating with God. Stay aligned with God because that's a way that we worship him by acknowledging, God, there's no one better that I could come to. There's no one better that I could talk to. There's no one better that I could process with. There's no one who's going to have a better answer for me. And God, yes, you may use other people in my life, but primarily you're my go-to, God. I'm praying to you. Because I know that you can do something when no one else can. Prayer is worship. And then finally, pursuing. Pursuing God is the way we should respond to God as well, which is part of our worship. Notice in verse 9, worship on his holy hill, and then verse 5, worship before his footstool. You get the picture there that, again, this amazing God that is beyond our comprehension and infinite is inviting us to get as close to him as we want to be. We can literally get on his holy hill where he dwells. We can come in, in a sense, to his home. Oh, and then even more than that, his footstool? We can literally cuddle up, if you will, and snuggle up right there by his feet and be at the feet of God? Yeah, because we saw that throughout the New Testament in the life of Jesus. Many women especially, along with a few men, where were they? At the feet of Jesus. Can't get much closer to somebody than just sitting at their feet. You see, what God really desires above everything else when it comes to worship is intimacy, closeness, nearness. God says, that's what this is all about. I want to bring you as close to me as you want to be. And for God, it's never like, oh, you're too close. No, as long as we have Jesus Christ, we can get as close to God as we want to get because he's made that way. And we can literally be right at the feet of God every day, worshiping at his footstool. Is that what we want? Do we really want more of God? Do we really want to be that close to God? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. It's about our heart of pursuing God and then continually pursuing God because we'll never get all that, you know, there is to get. And the more and the closer you get to God, I'm telling you this from personal testimony, the closer you get to God, the closer you still want to get. It's like the more you get of God, the more you want of God. It, it works together. And that's our choice. But this is the ways that we should be responding to God, especially the God that is revealed to us the way he is in Psalm 99. We should be moving, praising, praying, and pursuing our God.
I want to leave you with this statement, and I hope you'll just let it sort of sink in and settle in to you this morning. Worship is not just affirming who God is. It is embracing who God is. Let me repeat that. Worship is not just affirming. It's not just saying, oh, yeah, I know that about God. It's embracing. It's saying, I love that about you, God. I love the way you are, God. I love that about you. It's one thing for us, and again, in our head, which is why worship has to be head and heart, it's one thing in our head to say, oh, yeah, I know God's that. It's another thing to say, I love that about you, God. And I embrace that. I'm glad you're that kind of God. That's a whole other level, which is why God wants to engage our head and our heart. And that's what God is looking for here today. Are we moving to what God is doing even in this room or even in those homes that are watching this morning? Because our God is amazing. And if you ever want to be reminded of why we should worship God, Psalm 99 gives us seven motivations for worshiping our Lord. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you all to stand, and I'm going to close in prayer and prepare us to move to our God. Father, we thank you today that we have all been reminded of how amazing, how great, how wonderful you are. Even your name, God, it's so great, it's beyond comprehension. It's too wonderful for you to even speak to us in its fullness of form. And God, I pray today that as we engage with you right now in worship, that God, God will be moved. We'll be moved in spirit, in our emotions, and even in our bodies physically to move to you. And that God will be praising you, lifting you up, raising you up, elevating you, exalting you in this room and in our homes. That God, some of us may even be praying to you during our time of worship because we need you right now in, a, in some way or certain way. And then God pursuing you. This is an opportunity for all of us to get a little bit closer to you, God, to bow down at your very feet and to spend time with you. So, God, may we seize this opportunity this morning as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.